Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. All right, good morning, everyone. We are coming to you live from Hudson Yards here in New York City as Good Morning New York gets underway on this Tuesday morning. At this hour, we came out of 2018 in reset mode for New York City sales, including new condo development sales. The pace of sales has already slowed this year, with homes spending more time on market prior to going into contract. More than 20,000 new apartments in New York, both for sale and for rent, will open their doors this year, and likely just a fraction will find residents by year-end. Sharp pricing and developer incentives seem to be the only way to get these units in contract. Steve Kligerman, uh, president of Halstead Development Marketing, is here with us this morning, and he will break it down with us. Also at this hour, Hudson Yards has entered the list of most expensive neighborhoods with a median sale price of $3.86 million. Tribeca, though, remains the priciest uh, neighborhood at number one with a median sale price of $4.34 million. But Hudson Yards, the new luxury neighborhood on Manhattan's far west side, which opened in March this year, comes in a close second. Other neighborhoods that saw median price increases including Little Italy, Cobble Hill, and Prospect Park South, where prices more than doubled over last year. Interesting. But first, I'd like to welcome my listeners in the United States and around the world. I am Vince Rocco, and this is Good Morning New York Real Estate. Uh, In the news this morning, the New York Times is reporting that New York landlords are striking back at the new rent laws, filing a suit last Monday intended to dismantle the entire rent regulation system, which dictates the rents of about 2.4 million tenants who live in nearly 1 million apartments. They are betting that the title laws passed in June will bolster their claims that the rent stabilization system, which subjects units to government-mandated caps on rent increases, is unconstitutional and amounts to an unlawful taking of property. Uh, The New York real estate industry uh, suffered a crushing defeat last month when newly emboldened Democratic lawmakers passed landmark legislation to strengthen tenant protections. The sweeping changes to the rent laws, which the industry said would cripple landlords, stunned the real estate lobbyist who had mounted an expensive but unsuccessful campaign to fend off the reg- uh, legislation. New landlords are taking to the courts to fight back. We will continue to follow follow this and bring you uh, all the news as it comes in to us. The Real Deal reports that Saturday is one of the busiest nights for Broadway theaters, but box offices took a major hit from last Saturday's five-hour Midtown blackout which led to 26 out of 30 Broadway shows being canceled. Broadway grosses for the past week were down $7 million or nearly 20% year over year, this according to the Wall Street Journal. Meanwhile, restaurants in the area saw tens of thousands of dollars in losses and were forced to throw out food for fear of spoilage, and some believe things could have been much worse had it lasted longer than it did. And real estate's uh, related billionaire CEO, uh, Stephen Ross, has a history of buying homes within his own development projects, including a 92nd floor penthouse at the still under construction 35 uh, Hudson Yards and a fifth floor condo at 70 Vestry in Tribeca. But with all of those relatively new acquisitions, the real estate bigwig is now seeking to part ways with one of the older residences. The Wall Street Journal is reporting that Ross has listed his 80th floor condo atop the South Tower of the Time Warner Center, another related project, for a whopping $75 million. Can you imagine just $75 million? Charm change. That yeah. price tag makes it one of the most expensive properties currently for sale in New York City, and Corcoran has the listing. 
And as I said at the top of the show, according to Property Sharks just released ranking of New York City's most expensive neighborhoods, Tribeca once again takes the top spot in sales. The bigger news, though, is Hudson Yards is on the list for the first time as the city's second coolest neighborhood. Also notable was Little Italy, the city's third most expensive neighborhood, which saw median home prices increase by 153% over last year's numbers. Bring on the pasta, man. Every time you say Little Italy, though, are you do you mean Little Italy or Nolita? L- Little Italy. Oh, so, well, all right. I know. I question the same Surprising. thing. Surprising. Uh, well, it is. And finally, there's <laughs> <laughs> only a handful of, of apartment buildings over there. Uh, listen, it, it, it comes in the news this week. What can I tell you? And finally, earlier this morning, Boris Johnson has been chosen as the new leader of the Conservative Party in England and will take over from Theresa May as Prime Minister uh, of the UK when she steps down on Wednesday. Let's see how he does with this whole Brexit fiasco. Anyway, good morning, everybody. Good morning, morning Vince. Morning. Good morning. On this uh, drippy, rainy, humid, hot, disgusting Tuesday, we were going to the beach, and what happened? The weather came came and, and, and grabbed us. Yes, we did have a beach day. We did. Well, table for next week. Okay. Looking good. Well, table Anna organized it. We're excited. And now it, it, it looks good <laughs> next happening. week? It doesn't look good next week? I think week? so. Tuesday, yeah. Okay. All right, here we go. Uh, so Steve <laughs> Kligerman's long career in real estate has earned him the esteemed reputation from his colleagues and clients alike. As president of uh, development marketing for Halstead Real Estate and Brown Harris Stevens Real Estate, Steve is responsible for the operations, direction, and management of new business, client relations, pre-development planning, marketing, and sales. Along with his unmatched team of sales and marketing professional, he has built the development marketing division into the market leader in the industry through uh, his unparalleled customer service, creative marketing, and record-setting sales teams. Yay. That's a good one. Thanks, Uh, Vince. uh, (laughs) Yeah, listen, I work there. Often sought out by the city's top developer, Steve's played an instrumental role in securing many prestigious developments all over Manhattan, Brooklyn, and Long Island City. In addition, he consulted some of the top developers in the country based on his knowledge and expertise in new developments. As a result of this experience, he is quoted frequently in the media. It's my pleasure to welcome him here today. So good morning. Good morning, Vince. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you. So listen, you know, there's so much buzz out there about a lot of things in real estate. There's so much buzz out there about a lot of things in new development sales. Uh, What, in your opinion, right now is the market for anything new development? Well, whenever anyone asks me about the market, my first response is, which market? Because there are so many different markets in New York City. Right. So there is there's the boroughs, there's Manhattan, there's the upper end of the market, there's the middle end of the market, and you really have to dissect it in order to really understand what's going on. But I think the common theme across the board is that buyers still feel that it's a buyer's market and that they have an opportunity to get a better deal today than they did six or 12 months ago. You know, I also uh, think we've talked about this on the show many times. It, it's also a market that, that changes almost daily almost weekly and sometimes monthly. I mean, it, every day is a different scenario with the marketplace. So it's hard to sometimes, you know, explain to people out there where we are in the market, other than what you just said, which is correct. It is a buyer's market. And it's the best time, I believe, out there for buyers to buy. Interest rates are historically low, well, lower than ever, lowest. ever before, lowest. And, you know, there's a lot of room and there's a lot of negotiation uh, out there if you find the right property. So what I want to ask you also is, because a lot of us, you know, play in the new development arena as well as resale, where are developers these days in making deals? I mean, somebody asked me just the other day, are developers making deals? And I'm like, 
Can you qualify that? What, what do you really mean by that? Sure. I mean, of course, developers are making deals. They're in the business of selling real estate, not holding on to real estate. If they were going to be holding on to real estate, they'd be landlords and they wouldn't be just developers. Correct. So, you know, yes, developers are making deals, but developers also realize that the buyers that are buying in their projects are buying over a long timeline. And it's not just their responsibility to provide a great product, but it's also their responsibility to try to help to maintain values. So developers will often want to negotiate things other than price, where they can maintain values in the building, but still give a buyer a quote-unquote deal. So they Explain that a little bit, because people do ask about why do they not want to lower the purchase price? We all understand why, but, but explain to the to listeners out there what, what, what they go through as far as where they can feel more comfortable in, in lowering some kind of price or coming up with a better concession not to lower the price. Sure. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why, and I won't, I won't get into the real intricacies of it, but there's, there's a capital stack also that matters in the deal. So if a developer negotiates price, sometimes that's coming out of their pocket versus all of their equity and debt partners' pockets. So they'd much rather keep the price high and give what they call concessions. So uh, in New York City real estate, buyers are often expected to pay closing costs that are typically a seller's cost in a resale, like a New York State city and state transfer taxes. So those are things that in a buyer's market, a buyer can get the developer to pay instead of the buyer paying. In addition, we counsel both our on-site agents and our brokers who sell the units on-site to try to get other types of concessions out of a developer other than a price concession. So try to get a couple of months of maintenance or common charges and taxes thrown in, or try to get maybe some upgrades to the unit thrown in, or try to get some other closing costs thrown in, like a mansion tax or a mortgage recording tax. There's also other ways that buyers can negotiate with a developer where the developer is not giving up a whole lot, but they but the buyer will feel like they're getting a lot. There's something there's something called a mortgage recording tax, where developers often don't even developers have an opportunity to recapture that money. But they can also give it back to the buyer, and and their own attorney fees. Which, own attorney which, fees, which again the buyers used to have to pay. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting. When I first started working for you many years ago already, I can't even believe how much time flies. Though, what I call the good old days, where you were on site, you were managing a project, you were selling a project, and the offering plan price was the offering plan price. It was the selling price. There were no concessions. You either wanted the apartment or you didn't. And I remember in the 505 sales office many, many years ago, someone came up to me and said, well, this is crazy. I want this, this, and this. And I said to her, listen, you see the amount of people in the, in, in the, in the waiting room waiting to come in after you? I guarantee you, if you don't buy this, one of those people will. Yeah, they were lining up. Of them. They were lining up out the door, down the stairs, out the door. It was amazing and, <laughs> and willing to pay what they had to pay. We'll talk about trends after the break, but it, it's it's sort of like, you know, where do we go from here? Because we've we've made such a major monumental shift from developer gets everything, and now it's buyers get everything. So is it is it still lucrative for developers to stay in this gig or not? It, it is, and, and all markets are cyclical. So what we're coming out of right now is a time when a lot of developers paid top dollar for the land that they developed. But we're about to go into a marketplace where those same developers are buying land at lower purchase prices now. So they'll be able to afford to offer units at a slightly better prices. We're also starting to see more inventory get absorbed. So right now, there's a higher supply than there is for demand. So it's typical basic economics. 
We're going to get to that equilibrium, I believe, in the next 12 months. And I think you're going to see a stable marketplace. I think the peaks and valleys that we saw over the last 10 years are going to kind of cool down. And I think we're going to see a much calmer marketplace, more of an equal marketplace in the years to come. Not quite a buyer's market, not quite a seller's market, but just a good, healthy market. All right, we have to leave it there. Take a break. But first, this is Good Morning New York on the Voice America Radio Network. We will be right back after this break. Don't go away. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. At Halstead, we know that what moves you is important. We are all about the power of transformation. We're revolutionizing the way people live and work. We are agents of change. We are the deal makers. We are the fearless negotiators. We are the future builders. So you can move to what moves you. I'm Jeff Goodman at Halstead, and I love Vince's show. I host a program of my own, but not about real estate. Rediscovering New York is about our city's great neighborhoods, their history, texture, and their current vibe through interviews with historians, business owners, and interesting neighborhood personalities. We're broadcast live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc and available on iTunes, Spotify, and other podcasts. Rediscovering New York with Jeff Goodman. I bring the city's great neighborhoods to life. It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their product. It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York Yankees. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. We're back, and Steve Triggerman from Halstead Development Marketing is with us, as well as Ari Harkov from Halstead, Matthew Cohen from Halstead, Anna Shagalov from Halstead, Niall Lundgren from Compass, and Jordan Shea from Douglas Element. All right, so Steve, uh, back to the new development stuff. So talk a little bit about where um, where you see the mansion tax increases potentially hurting uh, future sales. As we all know, mansion taxes have increased by clip level, one million, two million and up, etc. Are we seeing that in your in your book of business at the moment where anybody is kind of hesitating or is it not making a difference? Well, we certainly saw a, a spike in deals that happened bef- before July 1st uh, due to the increased mansion tax. So I think that 
psychologically buyers were rushing to that date because right. it does have an impact. And I think when you start to get over $5 million, it really starts to impact. And when you get over $10 million, it has a tremendous impact. Look, you know, even the richest of rich people don't like spending money. And they don't like giving money to the state or any other governmental entity. So right. it, it, it has an impact. And on new development, it has a greater impact because a lot of times the buyer is now trying to pass that cost on to the seller because they know they have a lot of apartments to sell and they have a little bit of, of, of leverage there. Are, are developers bracing themselves for negotiating those points in the, in the higher end markets, obviously, with $5 million and up? Because, you know, buyers are going to be asking them to pick up, you know, these, these fees. And do, are they considering this in their pricing schema these days? So most of the developers that we're speaking to are holding firm right now and saying, look, it was a, it was a buyer's expense always. Not like the transfer taxes that they were trying right. to pass on. This was always a buyer's expense. You're going to pay it when you sell. Or, or you're going to pay it when you buy. When you your buy. your buyer is going to pay it when they buy your apartment in the future. But I wouldn't be surprised if we see a little bit of softening of that stance as the market continues to heal. Um, but I don't think developers will just drop their pants and, and pay it all. I think they'll negotiate some of it. Maybe they'll pick up the difference between the 1% and the 2 or 3% that it goes up to. But I don't think they'll pay it all. Yeah. How many developments are, is uh, HDM uh, representing right now in uh, all boroughs? Uh, right now, we're working on about 40 developments throughout the city. And where do you see the most activity? Is it in Brooklyn still or is it in Manhattan or it, split? It, I know Harlem it, is always hot and on fire. Uh, Har- Harlem is very hot, but I would say Brooklyn is still the hottest market. I mean, even July 4th weekend, our open houses on, on, on July 4th weekend were swamped. I heard that. And the yeah. last three weeks, traffic has been up tremendously. So I'd say Brooklyn's still the hottest. Long Island City's hot. Uh, Upper Manhattan, as you said, is hot. And Manhattan is starting to heat up again, but it's not as hot as the boroughs. Cranston, Cranston, Harlem, you know. (laughs) We love them. Gotta love them, absolutely. (laughs) Keep Cranston. All right, along, (laughs) keep Cranston here. Along (laughs) along with, with, you know, the the, the, the trends that go on out there and and what are you you seeing in in the average development these days that's trending in amenities? I mean, everybody who comes to new development, you know, uh, sales offices, one of the first questions I get asked with every showing, can you show me the amenities or what amenities mm. exist in the building? What, 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 what are you seeing trending out there and why are amenities so important? Sure. So actually, one of the things that's trending out there is developers trying to get the amenities done faster mm-hmm. so that buyers can see them sometimes mm-hmm. even before the apartments are completed because they're so important. Yeah. One of the amenities I'm seeing coming back over the last two to three years that kind of fell away in 2010 to, I'd say, 14, 15 is pools. Buyers, again, are looking for pools. So we, we've been developing yes, a lot are. of buildings, the Vanderwater Gallery, that, that all have pools because not only, not only is it healthy, but foreign buyers love the pool. We're going to get to foreign buyers in a minute, but you know, it's interesting. The, the question I get asked all the time is, does the building have a garage and does the building have a pool? So we're seeing a lot more garages. Yeah. And a lot of automated garages. Yeah, uh, We're doing a project in Astoria, which is going to be an awesome project. And they're going to have an automated garage. And when I tell buyers who are calling us right now about the amenities, the one they're actually most excited about at that building, although it has great amenities, is the, pool, is the garage. I would be excited about a garage, not necessarily about a pool. I mean, most people have gym memberships, so you can have a pool at your gym. And the building I represent, the gym is literally, literally Equinox across the street. Talk to us about foreign buyers, though. I mean, you know, in general, in the marketplace in New York City, they've kind of frozen and, and dried up and went away over the last two years. Uh, thanks to our the, administration. Thanks to lots of things. But, you know, you know, there there are pockets of foreign buyers who come through 
and still want to buy. And what they mostly look for is new development stuff. But foreign buyers will almost only buy brand new homes, yeah. particularly anybody uh, yep. from Asia. Okay, so any Asian country, they're looking brand new, they're looking for views, they're looking for amenities, they're looking for full service, and typically they're looking for the lowest entry point in the building, something between a million and two million dollars. Foreign buyers dried up earlier this year, and now I'm starting to see them come back. Uh, Across the board, both in the boroughs and in Manhattan, we're starting to see the foreign buyer come back. I think in general, the sentiment is that the market is either bottomed or it's close to bottom. And you can never buy at the bottom, right? Because once you buy at the bottom, it's already jumping back up. I mean, somebody was on here recently. I think maybe it was Diane. And she, you know, somebody asked about the bottom of the market. She thinks that we are at the bottom or we've achieved the bottom. I agree also. Mm -hmm. I think that's where we are. But I don't know that foreign buyers, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, really pay attention to that. I think they're always just looking for a good deal. And I think uh, they want height in a building because they're all about views. So when you say they're starting to come back to market, do you see them more in Brooklyn? Do you see them more uh, in Manhattan? I don't necessarily see them up in Harlem. Uh, I'm seeing them know. in both. We're starting to see them come back to Harlem now. We've launched a couple of new projects. So they, uh, what the farm buyer also loves is being the first one in. So right. literally before we open a project, uh, a development, we know that there are certain brokers that work with a lot of foreign buyers, and we literally bring them in early because if, if you once you launch, they've moved on to the next one. Talk about launch because we have a lot of projects coming out uh, at Halstead Development Marketing. So, you know, give our listeners a, a little kind of preview as to what the process is about. You know, you start with developers probably years before a project actually comes to marketplace. You know, the sales team comes in at the end. But what does it take to, to you know, grow? Uh, a development and bring it to market, regardless of the borough you know that we're in uh, here in New York City. That's, that's a great question. It it, it takes a village. It takes it, a village. It, it, I mean, literally, if you're when you're working on development, we start working on development anywhere between three and five years before it comes to the marketplace, and it, you know it starts with pre-development planning and making sure that you have a great site with great floor plans, the a good unit mix, so that you're not cannibalizing yourself. And then trying to squeeze in as many amenities as you can without kind of giving up sellable space. You know, from there, it goes to interior design and you're working with designers and architects and you're, you know, you're trying to come to the next place in design without going over the top because you're still a mass market product. But you want to differentiate the units a little bit because if not, then everyone's buying the same thing in the same building, right? So maybe you're designing... 51 bedrooms and half have showers and half have tubs so that, you know, you give people a little variety or they have different layouts. Some have some have uh, areas that you could use as an office, you know, in, in, and and or, you know, a guest area. But you, you try to differentiate as much as you can and you try to make each development that you're working on a little bit different. I remember in the past you used to get, uh, you you're very much a floor plan person. I love floor plans. And and no and and that's a good thing because I think a lot of people out there a lot of end users out there don't really realize how important a floor plan is in the conception of the whole project because if you get to the point where and we've seen it uh, floor plans are wrong that translates to not really being sellable and one of the things you're always uh, looking out of the closet space and one of the things I always think about when I walk into a new development for the first time is what is the developer thinking here? It, or what weren't they it, thinking it, about? It's so right. frustrating. And closets is usually the first thing that falls off the cart. But literally, I was on the phone with one of our sales teams yesterday at the Vandewater, and they were um, their client was comparing that project up on 122nd Street by Columbia University to a great project in downtown Brooklyn. 
the, the Brooklyn project has great amenities, beautiful Manhattan views, but the floor plans are not good. Yeah. I mean, the doors are in the middle of the rooms. You can't basically walk through the living room because you basically have to go around the couch to get to your bedroom. And we were trying to compare because the buyer was trying to compare. And all I kept thinking was, I understood it was a difficult site, but they could have done a much better job with the floor plans. We agonize over floor plans down to the door swing of every door. Yeah, believe it or not, the door swing makes all the difference or can make all the difference. I saw something recently where the door opened into the hallway and I thought, really? What is that about? Yeah. A- anyway, uh, I remember at the Hudson, we had issues with some floor plans. You, remi- you reminded me when you said walk around the sofa to get into the bedrooms. That was a challenge. <laughs> um, so, you know, given that the prices have been a challenge these days, you know, developers, as you said earlier, don't necessarily want to decrease prices. You were looking more at um, uh, incentives and better ways to get people in the door. I think w- one of the struggles today with um, with getting people in the door is, you know, you've got to be compelling. You've got to show the buyer out there that you have something that's very different. I told the story on the air a couple of weeks ago. You know, a woman came in to see me at the Claire with her um, with her agent, um, maybe three or four weeks now already, looking at two bedrooms. And, you know, she walked in and she just kind of sighed and said, oh, and I said, what's wrong? She said, I just saw six or seven. He just took me to six or seven two-bedroom apartments, you know, blah, 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 on the Upper East Side. And they all look the same to me. Why are you different? And so, of course, you go into your little soft shoe <laughs> and you say, well, because now you got me. But joking aside, you've got to make sure that after a comment like that, and believe me, I hear a lot of that, you've got to show them why you're different. Absolutely. And you've got to tell them why this particular building is different. Not always so easy. But they want to hear something that they haven't heard before because prices in this marketplace are insane uh, and they're very high. And I, like you said, they're not really going to come down. What do you project for the balance of um, what's this year, 2019 <laughs> and going into a presidential year of 2020 where historically presidential years can be challenging at best? Well, I think low interest rates are going to really fuel this marketplace for the next six to 12 months. Uh, I, I, as I said, I think that we're, we're basically at or around the bottom, and I think that we're going to see a more stable marketplace. I think we're going to see more buyers coming to the marketplace seeing opportunity. Um, I, I think that buyers are also now, they've settled into the new tax plan. They understand what they can afford to buy, which I don't really believe they, they understood last year, which is why I think some buyers hesitated as well. I think it took a full year, even for many accountants to really understand what the impact of the reduction in the SALT uh, deductions would be. I think we're going to see continued buying activity. I think we're going to see developers be a little bit more negotiable and reasonable, realizing that there's product out there. Um, and I actually think, and this is something you and I haven't discussed yet, I think you're going to see a couple of condo buildings on the fringe that probably should have been built as rentals to begin with go to rental. And there's one right now that I can't mention, but I've heard a really big one is about to turn the switch and go rent. And we've seen that before. And then all of a sudden, you know, when the market gets better, it comes back. Right. But it would be great because if we take that inventory off the table, Correct. It really helps the entire marketplace. So, I, you know, what? and it's not a bad thing. They'll make money. They've got a tax abatement. They'll be fine. I it'll take the, and those buyers that were going to buy in that building will now go someplace else and buy. Yeah. So it'll actually be a double whammy where you'll see one building go and one building then start to fill up because those buyers still want to buy. Exactly. I need to read something that's really exciting. Land Glide. Whether you're searching uh, county websites for par- parcel data or trying to find boundary lines, assessing property information, 
while on-site can be a challenging process, but it doesn't have to be. Excuse me, my voice today. Introducing LandGlide, the most comprehensive parcel data mobile app out there. Using GPS technology to pinpoint your exact um, location on the map, you can access 150 million parcel records over in over 3,000 uh, counties, covering more than 90%, 95% of the U.S. population. Simply hover over the property to view owner, address, uh, acreage, uh, boundaries, parcel <coughs> ID, sale price, school district, and more, putting all the property information you need right at your fingertips. If you find yourself without network accessibility out in the field, you can still access parcel, partial data using LandGlide's uh, offline mode. Download the app and try it uh, this week for free by visiting LandGlide.com slash Vince. That's LandGlide, property data, fast, accurate, and everywhere. All right, we have to take a break. More with Steve, more with the panel as we come back. We are live from uh, Hudson Yards in New York City. This is Good Morning New York, and we will be back on the other side of the break. Don't go away. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com At Halstead, we know that what moves you is important. We're all about the power of transformation. We're revolutionizing the way people live and work. We are agents of change. We are the deal makers. We are the fearless negotiators. We are the future builders. So you can move to what moves you. I'm Jeff Goodman at Halstead, and I love Vince's show. I host a program of my own, but not about real estate. Rediscovering New York is about our city's great neighborhoods, their history, texture, and their current vibe through interviews with historians, business owners, and interesting neighborhood personalities. We're broadcast live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc and available on iTunes, Spotify, and other podcasts. Rediscovering New York with Jeff Goodman. I bring the city's great neighborhoods to life. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. Listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll free in North America at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Now, back to the show. Okay, everybody, we are back. Before we discuss uh, hot topics with the panel, I want to talk about Land Glide. Finding simple property information like owners, sales history, and acreage can be a long and daunting process. From searching county uh, websites to trying to find property boundary lines, counties, uh, countless hours rather, can be spent finding the information that you need. But it doesn't have to be. That's where LandGlide comes in. LandGlide is the most comprehensive uh, uh, parcel data mobile application out there. Using GPS technology to pinpoint your exact location, you can uh, explore maps and access 150 parcel records in over 3,000 counties covering more than 95% of the U.S. population. Within the intuitive interfa- with the intuitive interface, you can hover over a property to view owner, address, boundaries, parcel ID, sale price, alcohol, 
information, school districts and more, putting all the property information you need right at your fingertips. No network uh, accessibility. You can still access this database using offline mode. Download the app now and try it for free for a week by visiting landglide.com slash Vince. Landglide's property data, fast, accurate, and everywhere. More important, everywhere. All right, we're back with the panel. Steve Kligerman is here. Ari Harkoff from Halstead, Matthew Cohen, Halstead, Anna Shagalov, Halstead, Niall Lundgren, Compass, and Jordan Shea from Douglas Elliman. All right, listen, so at the top of the show... Jordan and I just gave each other a pound. A pound? Okay. They're going against the grain. <laughs> Sorry, you what have FOMO about the Halstead family here. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, you, listen, you're privileged to be among us, right? Well, We're all privileged to be here, Vince, Absolutely. with you. Oh, thank you. Not the rest of us. <laughs> Not the rest of us. <laughs> Point taken, Niall. Thank you. All right, so I said at the top of the show, Hudson Yard has entered the list of the most expensive New York City neighborhoods with a median sale price of $3.86 million. You know, it's a brand new uh, uh, development, only you know, less than a year old. Tribeca, though, remains the priciest neighborhood within the me- with a median sale price of $4.34 million. But Hudson Yards, far west, you know, Manhattan, comes in a second close. So other people say, you know, what is it about Hudson Yards? It's so far out of the way. Yeah, the, the 7 train is now, you know, extended out to 34th Street, I think. But it's still uh, way out of the way. Other neighborhoods that saw median uh, price increases include Little Italy, Cobble Hill, and Prospect <laughs> Park South, where prices more than doubled. Little Italy grew 153% in a year. So what, 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 well, what's the gift? But Little Italy, it's a, these, all these uh, numbers and stats are about one or two buildings changing the whole neighborhood. Like, exactly. like Little yeah. Italy is definitely taking into account it's three the blocks, no Lita, quote unquote, like yeah. 224 Mulberry, 199 Mott. Yes. Like those buildings completely changed that whole price per square foot. Exactly. Yeah. A- absolutely. Yeah. And but then, they're still part of a statistic. You know, when how you know, not too many years ago when you said you want to live in Little Italy, people would say, no, I want to eat in Little Italy. I don't want to live there. Chinatown, same thing. These these neighborhoods are really kind of gentrified. Well, there was just Chinatown no product. Minutes before. Yeah. yeah, there was no. There was, <laughs> also, yeah. there was no well, product let's, let's there, so they built the product, <laughs> and then that's where you see the increase because there's actual product there now. Well, like but if you also notice, these neighborhoods are quote unquote kind of fringe neighborhoods. Like if you think about it, Little Italy is definitely kind of, is Nolita, which is very hot. If you look just it's south of Houston, yeah, yeah, and then Hudson Yards is technically West Chelsea. To be honest, it's like Northwest Chelsea. So they're, you know what I mean? Kind of its own. Yeah, it's like its own. It's one of the coolest neighborhoods now, right? Isn't that what you said earlier? Yeah, but their Soul Cycle Studio is real small. So just. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Everything everything is relative. That's getting picked up there, are you? (laughs) Ari Ari Harkoff. So speak to me about Cobble Hill and Prospect Park South. What what what's the deal there? Why the? I mean, Brooklyn's been growing. Brooklyn's Mm -hmm. been changing. Brooklyn is hot, but these particular neighborhoods more so than others? I mean, Cobble Hill is always hot because it's a very small neighborhood. It's aesthetically probably the most consistent neighborhood in Brooklyn from the townhouse perspective and limited supply, high demand. So it's Econ 101. You know, in terms of Prospect Park South, you've got a lot of really beautiful houses that are bigger, many cases with driveways and parking than much of <clears throat> excuse me, Park Slope area, and the pricing is much lower. So that neighborhood has actually gone up significantly because it's a value proposition compared to Brownstone, Brooklyn. But, you know, overall, as Steve said, Brooklyn is faring better than Manhattan. Brooklyn is still in a buyer's market. Uh, yes. And and your prediction for the rest of this year? Yes? No? I mean, 
personally, I think we're still in a slide. I think we're still in a downward slide. All right. I want to ask you another question because you were recently interviewed by Urban Diggs. So, you know, and uh, about the disconnect between buyers and sellers. Mm -hmm. Tell us that story from your perspective. I mean, I think so when you're in a buyer's market, most buyers want to pay next year's prices and sellers are stuck on closed sales data, which is three, six, nine, 12 months behind. So you've got sellers that want last year's prices and buyers that want next year's prices. And that creates a disconnect. It's just kind of that. It's that simple. How, how, how do we solve that, though? <laughs> I'm going to put you on the spot there. Anybody, please chime in. I mean, I think I, you need to educate your buyers, first of all. You need to educate your sellers. And I think that you need to give people um, leading rather than lagging indicators. So, for example, we look at open house traffic. We look at you know foot traffic. We look at how deal volume is flowing. We look at contract signed data versus closed data. You want to look at yeah. the leading indicators rather than the lagging indicators, which tell you what's happening today, not what was happening one, two, three, four, five months Delta ago. Delta square foot of active listings as opposed to closed. Right. Yeah. Yeah, what are you competing with on the market? Right, and in new mm -hmm. development, we look at contract sign prices and just contract number of contract sign. When we start to see absorption rise, then we know that the market is starting to shift. And I think what Ari's talking about is he doesn't, I guess, feel yet that absorption has hit the level where the market won't continue to slide a little bit. But that's what will change the market as you absorb units. And as you get that equilibrium, they'll start to see a more stable market. One of the one of the troubles I have sometimes in, in trying to gather, you know, contract sign data is the the agents, the brokers won't give you that information until they close. Age old story, age old problem. So when I'm calling someone and say, hey, you got a contract sign, what did you mm -hmm. sell it at? I see the listing price. I see the, you know, what did you sell it? Well, I can't tell you. My seller doesn't want me to give that information out. Sure, but even in those situations, you can make you know an educated and guess. Yeah. You can look exactly. at market, market averages. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a way to at least get you know within some sort of benchmark and get some idea. No, you don't know within you know one percent, but you probably know within five percent. Five percent, yeah. yeah, within five percent at least. All right, overall perception has it that we are in a three to four year period of a down cycle. Why? The economy in the stock market. Has, I mean, this is just classic. The economy in the stock market has been very strong, and they used to be direct indicators of a very robust market in New York City. And the secondary market, like the Hamptons, is being killed because you know slush fund money, as I always called it. You know, Wall Street money. <laughs> pocket change. I don't think I've ever heard of that, but that's pocket hilarious. Yeah. You know, pocket change. You know, you go out to the Hamptons and you buy a home. I love right? you, Vince. It's a technical term. There you have it. So. I'm <laughs> So at the end of so you know at the end of the day, what do you what, how, how do you explain this? I mean, because people ask me all the time, I don't get it. You know, the market's great, the 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 economy overall is great. What the hell is happening in real estate? Well, I, I think that when you talk about the market, you know, not everyone is invested number one in the stock market. Correct. Right? Okay, so everyone you know, everyone loves to talk about you know the economy is great because the stock market's great. The stock market has gone up when we've had not so great economies as well. And less than ten percent of the American people are in the marketplace. That, that's right. That's mm -hmm. right. So. You know, I, I, I think what happens in a city like New York is we had a really fast run up in pricing and eventually the market just said, we're not going to pay these prices yeah. anymore. Yeah. And then basically you see that happen in the stock market, but because it's an exchange traded minute by minute, second by second, you yeah. see the correction immediately in real estate. You don't see the correction for mm -hmm. a year. I also yeah. just want to say, because I think a lot of people aren't talking about this reality, it's not our market, but it affects our market. The stock market is 70 to 80 percent passive investing, meaning it's algorithm-based trading or it's index funds. The bulk of the stock market is not actively traded anymore, which means it's essentially an artificial market. When you buy an index fund, you're actually driving up the price of the fund that you're actually buying, and it's, it's automated algorithm-based trading. So people aren't actively trading the market anymore. The market is this artifice of computers and index funds. So the market is not really relevant for what people are doing. I always say, you know, 
real estate in New York City and real estate anywhere is basically a long-term confidence-based, optimism-based decision. Absolutely. And people right now, whatever you want to say, are not feeling optimistic, positive, and confident about the future. And that's why they're holding back on buying. Yeah, psychology plays a huge role huge. in the buying process. Mm -hmm. I also, you know, most of my clients have not only real estate here, but throughout the country. And a big thing that I always get is, and I'm sure everyone else does here too. I'm not <laughs> saying it like that. I'm just, Ooh. I think that, you know, I constantly get, I don't understand, you know, my apartment in Boston is doing better than it ever has, how can you tell me that a, a city like New York, that is a better city than Boston is, <laughs> is doing worse than Boston? You know, no I, I say like everyone forgets that- Los that, Angeles, same thing. Right. Everyone forgets that fire. New York City is not only so vast and so large, but it also is a place where you actually have different laws and taxes and reforms in this city as opposed to other parts of the state. I mean, so that is very unlike a lot of other states in our country alone. So if you even think about somewhere like the Hamptons versus New York City, you have totally different closing costs and certain taxes that you have to deal with. And that will affect the inner city. So people have to understand that. And dial the dial that, you know, the dial back a couple of years. Our market was doing really well. Boston was not doing so well. Exactly. So we just went mm -hmm. up faster. And to Steve's point, maybe too quickly and maybe too high. Very quickly. Yeah, we did recover very quickly. Very quickly. We, we did, and we were on a, on a roll for over many, many years. But Los Angeles, I'm hearing recently, just like in the it's last softened. week or two, it's starting to get a little soft. It's not yeah. And brokers out there that I know are complaining. I said, little, wait a minute, complaining? Are you out of your mind? They're <laughs> working in New York the past two years. Of the U.S. market throughout the, you know, the, the U.S. that are still below 2007 highs. They're still below 2007. Absolutely. So mm -hmm. we all forget that. Mm -hmm. You know, my I'm, I, I say this every week on the show. I'm helping my sister find a home in Westchester. And I have to tell you something. In the last three weeks, the prices are plummeting like to a point where I said to her last night in an email, you better get out there tomorrow and put an offer on something because this is incredible. Mm -hmm. I've mm -hmm. seen in one particular case, $75,000 drop. We only first saw this place maybe four weeks ago. So wow. it, yeah. what I'm seeing Tax up there is killing that market. Yeah, tax reform I, is yeah. killing that market, which we're going to talk about at the at the mm -hmm. top of the next segment. But it's killing that marketplace, and the taxes, the real estate that's, taxes in that's right. the taxes keep going. Yeah. The taxes keep going up, and you can't deduct them anymore. So yeah. Yeah. you cannot, and so you know the purchase price is really suffering. And it's not like the city we have you know developers offering concessions. I mean, it is what it is. You know, the price is the price. You either take it or you don't. So at the top of the next segment, we're going to talk about that. But just quickly, um, the financial district sales market is seeing an uptick. But bigger price discounts. So discounting is, is big in the in the financial district, but yet the sales volume is increasing. And I say I've been saying this for years, actually all the years that I'm in the real estate business. What is it about the financial district that is so hot? I mean, I I always have a joke about financial district that I call it Gotham. Um, but and maybe that's not that funny, but I, I think it's kind of funny. But um, oh, that, you know, that was the joke. The <laughs> We're all waiting for the joke. Yeah, yeah, no, no punchline. He, he, he gave it out of Meaning it's kind of dark and, and mysterious and, and it gets a little creepy sometimes. I don't know. I think I think what Financial District has going for it yeah. is that it borders a lot of great neighborhoods. I mean, think about, you know, North Financial District with that borders on Tribeca that is now part of Tribeca that used to not even be part of Tribeca. I mean, you know, Barclay Street, for example, yeah. all yeah. of those neighborhoods, um, you know, Park Place, exactly where the Woolworth building is, um, you know, these areas are now Tribeca. And so I think that's what Financial District has going for it, that people can buy in a great building like 
the Beekman or, you know, One Wall or, you know, some of these buildings and walk to great neighborhoods. Well, it's also super close. Oh, it has amazing transportation. Say, yeah. you, you have every yeah, major subway line. Yeah. You can get and to Brooklyn you, in a get, flash. And that's always been West, the major Brooklyn, sales point for that neighborhood. And out of Manhattan quick. Yeah. It's, yeah. And the amenities yeah. in the neighborhood are, are outside of the actual better. residential right. buildings, like mm-hmm. Brookfield and, and, and Oculus. And yeah. We have to go. But meanwhile, at the tip of Manhattan in Battery Park City, sales are slower even amid hefty price cuts. Unsold units drop 17% year over year. The average price Price declined to $1.55 million with that. We have to take a break. This is Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. We will be right back. Don't go away. Adam Carroll. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. At Halstead, we know that what moves you is important. We're all about the power of transformation. We're revolutionizing the way people live and work. We are agents of change. We are the deal makers. We are the fearless negotiators. We are the future builders. So you can move to what moves you. I'm Jeff Goodman at Halstead, and I love Vince's show. I host a program of my own, but not about real estate. Rediscovering New York is about our city's great neighborhoods, their history, texture, and their current vibe through interviews with historians, business owners, and interesting neighborhood personalities. We're broadcast live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc and available on iTunes, Spotify, and other podcasts. Rediscovering New York with Jeff Goodman. I bring the city's great neighborhoods to life. It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their products. It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York Yankees. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. Okay, everybody, we are back, segment four. And I want to talk about New York City real estate prices. They've been plummeting since the implementation of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, which imposed a $10,000 cap on state and local tax, or SALT deductions as we call them. According to analysis from Deutsche Bank Global Research and StreetEasy, home prices in Manhattan are falling at the fastest rate since the financial crisis. And I'm going to also say up in Westchester in the outer um, outer uh, regions. In 2019, prices are down about 5% year over year. Sales in the first quarter were down 2.7% year over year. 
according to that research. It's not just Manhattan feeling the pain, however. Uh, homes in the luxurious Hamptons are also starting to lose their value, and I would assume on the Jersey Shore and in the country, in the Catskills, secondary market is struggling. So, you know, I, I, my question is, how do we fix this? I guess we don't until the administration reverses policy, which I'm not quite sure they're going to do. How do we get around I this? This just, is a major I, problem. We, do, we, we just have to keep our, um, our clients steady. We have to mm -hmm. keep them, you know, from freaking mm -hmm. out. I mean, we have to remember that New York. I that mean, ain't so are easy. We got meds. What's happening? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> take these pills. Xanax. Buy this apartment before you take a client out. Xanax. Here's some CBD. The thing is, the thing is, well, now now that you've given away my secret. <laughs> um, no, the thing is, I mean, when there's a down, there's an up. This is New York City, so people people just need to ride it out. There are definitely different things in well, this that market that are pill. that are. <laughs> Oh, it's not that kind of show. Sorry, I just read that somewhere. I don't know this thing. But I but think I it's about opportunity. Not that I know. I think it's about, yeah, I mean, especially if you're like in the secondary home market, you could probably get a much better home today than you yes. could have two years ago at a much better price. So that opportunity is not going to last for long. And as soon as buyers start to see those opportunities, I still think you're going to see it start to turn around. And look, you know, the Hamptons is, it's a mostly a vacation home. Yeah. Right? yeah. But you also have a lot more people are moving out there full time. So as that right. mm -hmm. kind of continues, you're going to see that market tighten up a little bit as well. I have good friends that all live out there now yeah. full time. Yeah, it's happening. Yeah, for sure. I wish I could. I mean, you know, listen, it, I agree with you. But 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 nonetheless, you know, even if you can afford to buy, you know, these homes, you know, buyers are kind of sitting back saying, well, you know, I get it. I may even have the money to do that because I do very well. But, you know, everybody, you know, purchased in the past based on deductions, based on, right. you know, tax, well, you know, relief, you know, somewhere along the line. They have to, they have have to, to get, recalibrate. Yeah. Yeah. You know, prices don't go up forever. Yeah. I mean, and we always say this on the show. There's a price for every asset on every day in every market. If you price it correctly, there's yes. liquidity in the market. The buyers will buy. And it's a very efficient, transparent market. Also, you know, money is cheap right now. Yeah. I mean, really you know, free, actually. Almost free. So, <laughs> yeah. so it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense to leverage that opportunity now because, you know, when, when rates go up, it, co it, it costs you a lot more money when rates go up, you know, than, than people think. And, and you really have to understand that for every, you know, 100 basis points, your buying power is changing by hundreds of thousands of dollars. That's a big difference. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm finding that buyers are buying. They're just really taking their time to educate themselves. Yeah. They're mm -hmm. finding what they like, and then they go and look at everything else four times, five yes. times over. And mm -hmm. then if that's still there, then which it back, usually is, and then they go back. And then they, <laughs> they, you know, they they lowball an offer, and there is a negotiation with those offers. Unfortunately, some buyers and sellers are kind of, you know, putting on the brakes when they're so close. Mm -hmm that mm -hmm. they can't make ends meet. And, you know, there's only so much we can do as brokers, you know, as if we try to bridge a gap somehow. The gaps are a little bit too big for that, but so small that people are just, they're, they're losing sight of the fact that they're buying a home as opposed to, you know, the, the pride that goes along with getting a good deal. Well, as all of you said a little while ago, right, and it's a long-term investment. If you're buying a home and you're going to stay in that home, especially if you're, you're a family and you're buying a family-sized home, and you're going to stay in that home for greater than five years, 
what's the deal? I, I mean, you're, I, you're not going to lose your money. I yeah. still I still say that it's people are well. really, really monthly cost conscious. I say that more yeah. than ever, yes, ever. Are. I mean, you just talked about Westchester and how it's plummeting. That is because taxes are really high and people are thinking about their monthly nut. Absolutely. And, you know, so the smart people out there are thinking very heavily on the interest rates, but the areas of the city that are hurting, I find have higher taxes. Like there are some areas of the Upper East Side. And even though actually- a I great, know I'm involved in one. Like we were just talking about, you know, foreign buyers. I actually think you're gonna see a ton of foreign buyers go to Nomad, parts of Nomad because of all the rezoning and new zoning. And you'll see a ton of tall buildings being built and they're gonna have views and they're gonna have amenities and whatnot. But all of those buildings have really high taxes. So I think you're going to see that be a big issue over the next few years. Well, tax abatements are gone for the most part. I mean, only a few buildings, you know, these days can qualify. But not that. even abatements. It's the higher tax lots. Yeah, that's very well, true. Well, that, that's, that's, yeah. that's a killer. But I think sure. something that you mentioned earlier is really important, which is that you called the smart buyer. And I think actually the smart buyer is now just the buyer. People are yeah. more educated. They know what they're talking about. They do way more research. Like, that's where we are. Which arguably actually makes sense. The days yeah. mm-hmm. of buying an apartment by seeing it twenty minutes at a crowded open Looking house a and then newspaper. making a seven-year yeah. decision is yeah. crazy. Long it's so gone. much healthier yeah. now. It's, it's much actually healthier. healthy to go yeah. back and research the market. Yeah. The and, buyers and that the buyers that really are 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 not quite sure what they're doing, and I'm not saying this to plug you know the real estate industry or brokers, but they're the ones that are not not coupled with a broker. Mm-hmm. They they don't understand how to negotiate. It's they true. don't understand how to navigate the market. Or they, that's what I mean about, about they, holding They think they do. Broker, yeah. They think they do. Right, because they, they read they some do. stuff online and they think that now they exactly. know the Exactly. And mm-hmm. they're, they're self-educating, the but they don't, know the, guys, it, they don't know the inner workings of how mm-hmm. the negotiations work and how the psychologies work on both ends. They think about what they want. They have to think about what the other side is looking for also in order to know how to negotiate and how to bridge that gap. And, and they don't get there. Yeah, and if they're just getting their information online, they're not seeing everything. They're not seeing the floor plan properly. They're not seeing what the views are. They don't see the condition of the building, the condition of the halls, the condition of the amenities. So all they're looking at is a price per square foot. And like you said, the spreadsheet people, you know, they're just buying based upon some analytic that makes no sense. Buying a home is emotional. It's an emotional decision that that basically ends up being a financial decision later. But if you can afford it, I've watched people spend literally a million dollars more than they said that they could spend when they found the place they love. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. Listen, and they well, don't and so, they don't think so about well that money said. loss because it's not mm-hmm. money loss. It's it's the way it's you're choosing Goals. how to live your life. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things Goals. I you I, I think about all the time is you know we go from buyers markets to sellers markets to buyers markets. So what happens in the sellers market? Buyers overpay. Right. For whatever that I don't care what price point you're in, they overpay. And Anna said it doesn't even come down to the money. It's just they're they're happy with their choice. They may have spent fifty or a hundred thousand dollars over the price. In some cases, a lot more. But yet, in a buyer's market, and this is what kind of flips me out, in a buyer's market where they have all of the control, they sit back and they make every excuse imaginable. The emotions run even higher, and it's kind of like, guys, this is the time to do it. What do you, you know, you're, you're willing to overpay in higher markets and then complain when the market comes down to meet your 
needs. But it's, and you still won't move. It's it's mm-hmm. human psychology and it's immediate yeah. gratification. It's easy to buy when the market is going to make you look really smart in six months mm-hmm. because your property is worth 5%, 10% more. It's scary to buy when in five years it might be worth more, but in five months it might be worth less. That's really scary. Well, those are the people, mm-hmm. those are bottom feeders, and they're waiting for the market to get better. And then they're going to be scrambling. And oh, then they always buy on the way up. They always buy on the way up. Better, right. yeah. Yeah, I mean, now it's, it's, scary. it's that, way less that scary, is, but yep. that's when you have to be, you have to be smart and you have to take a risk. And when you're buying any market on the way down, you can get a better deal. So right now we're still on the way down. I agree with Ari, though. It's human psychology. I always, always, always relate. Is. I always yeah. relate New York City real estate to the dating world and to, and to romance. <laughs> Here like, we go. Uh, seriously, Here we go. I think <laughs> so when, when you have control, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, but you also have options, you never make a quick decision ever. And mm-hmm. that's a smart, as Jordan said, all buyers are smart buyers. That's Very a sure. smart buyer. They're going to yeah. see all their options and really take their time because they know that they're in control. It's the same way in the dating world. In New York City, it's so hard to settle with someone because we have so many options. Like, why are you going to settle with one if you can have five? I mean, that's how I think. No, so, okay. like, I, so, I just don't. So, Ari, so, so there's the counter argument so to your, right your discussion. Dating so I just world. buy five apartments then. That works for me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, on that note, that's it for this morning. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. You can follow me on Twitter, on Facebook, or Instagram, at Vince Rocco. Shoot for the moon, everyone. Even if you miss, you'll land among the stars. Be kind to one another. For all of us at Voice America all around the world, thanks for joining us, and I will see you next time. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones.